Well, today we have a trial. Hear ye, hear ye. Every last one of you stands guilty before a holy God. Every last one of us. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1 as we consider this your case here this morning. We're going to hold a trial against not just us, but all of humanity. And I'm not just talking about the people you don't like. I'm talking about every one of us. So here we are in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, where we will read the charges laid against us. You will notice here. The first charge is this, suppressing the truth about God. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppresses the truth, living as if God said nothing about our sin. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they stand without excuse. There is no excuse to pretend that there is no God. You look at the power of the weather here. Probably some are at home right now because of, of the snow that has gently fallen on their driveways, my friend. Maybe you took a turn a little wider than you'd normally like it because of such things. It is amazing that the power of thunder that rattles your home, all of it points to the glory of God, the power of God. You can't miss him, my friends. And the only people who miss him are the people who close their eyes, suppressing the truth, pretending as if God did not say what God said. It is very nature that every one of us knows evil. We hate it when we see it in other people. But we just go walking right on by when we're living it out our own. We stand guilty before God. You and I, we are sinners. We are depraved, which means, my friends, that we have nothing within ourselves that is worthy to present to God. Nothing. Suppressing the truth about God, living as if God has not displayed in every act of creation his power, his goodness, his, his divine nature, clearly perceived, Paul says, since the creation of the world. And in light of this creation, in every nook and cranny of creation, my friends, God has shown himself. And yet, according to verse 21, all of humanity has failed to honor him. God has revealed his majesty, but we have failed to honor God. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It is the process of looking away over and over until you stop seeing the light, 
claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, honoring the creation even more so than the creator. We stand guilty before God. Friends, this is not hyperbole, this is truth. You and I stand guilty before a holy God. Exchanging the truth for a lie. Suppressing the truth, failing to honor God. And here in verse 24, exchanging the truth for a lie. Imagine that. Knowing the truth, but choosing a lie. Therefore... God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Did you feel that? The Spirit of God bringing to mind in the ways that you have sinned against him in your body? No public confession here today, my friends, but don't turn away from it. Let the Spirit of God have his work of conviction in your life. Don't suppress the truth. Sin is sin. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Think of the absurdity of that. Worshiping the creation and not the creator, the one who made it. Hmm. My son, I'm taking him to the airport today. He's going to take a plane with a buddy of his, and they're flying off to Italy. Imagine that. And, and they're going to go see some great wonders in the works of men. You know, you imagine going into the Sistine Chapel and looking up at this great work of Michelangelo and, and saying, well, he must have had some great paint some great paint, really? <laughs> Is that what makes his painting so great, the paint? My friends, when you go out on a sunny day and there's no snow, and some of you are in Florida recently, lucky, <laughs> and you come back to snow and you feel the warm sunshine on your neck, and you say, what a good day, my friends. It isn't because of the kind of shirt you picked out. It is because the creator has created seasons like this. To be enjoyed. My friends, worship God the creator, not the creation. How many of you got pets at home? You got pets? I'm not talking about cats. I mean real pets. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and you, you, you think that these, these dogs, you know, like we got two dogs at home, uh, golden retrievers, and, you know, I can't hardly get in the house. They're up at the stairs wagging everything, delighted to see me, you know? And, uh, and I think, what an incredible thing that God in his mind thought that there should be animals that would respond in such way to people. And this is another way to see the goodness of God. Not that the golden retriever is the best kind of dog out there. I mean, it is, granted, but, you know, <laughs> I don't incite people or insult people in three seconds. All of creation points to the goodness of God. It shows his goodness, his holiness, 
and also his righteousness and his wrath. You know, we, we read recently, perhaps you heard about this, this man who was at Michigan State and in the Olympic team, and he was abusing women. And he stood before a judge, and that judge gave him a sentence of 175 years. And something within us said, yes, this is right. Evil must be punished. How much easier it is to say that about someone else and then to gloss over our own sin. My friends, the warnings are there everywhere. When you can point and say that is evil, it's a good time to say, let's look within. What about the actions and the thoughts and the omissions going on in our lives? Exchanging the truth for a lie. So God gave them up, it says here in verse 24, in the lusts of their heart. Imagine. It has, it has the feel of, of Genesis. When, when God said, I've had enough. Imagine the very same sin, as if their sin was worse than what's going on even in your heart at this moment. God was sorry that he even made them. That is how awful our sin is. Detestable to God. It is filth. It is, it is worse than. You know, you want to think about how bad it is? Think about cat vomit. I'll give you a moment. <laughs> what are you laughing at? That's nasty. And that is your sin before God. A whole lot more worse, my friends, a whole lot worse. And so in light of this sin, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. And so God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity. Is this the way you want to live? Go ahead and consume yourself in it. God gave them up in the lusts of their heart, verse 20. 24, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Dishonorable passions. For the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. He's talking about homosexual relationships here. God looks at this and he says... What have you done? This, this perfect design that I have, I have given for good, for health, for the society, for the family, and our sin nature and our passions have turned it all around. And we stand before God, and you are guilty. I am guilty. We have nothing to show. Well, there was that one time I shared my lunch. Yeah. Why'd you do that anyway? 
Feel guilty? Was it out of love and concern for another person? Did you make sure everyone else knew about it? Hmm. Worship me, worship me. Yeah. Well, verse 28 says that this final charge here is consuming themselves with sin. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled Look at this, underline, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, and covetousness. I mean, this is a list of the bad stuff. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. And they are gossips. Well, gossips, how is that a big deal? Because it is an offense to God. God has called us to love him and love others, and gossip is not love, my friends. It is hate. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Imagine that. God has set in order design for our family and our culture. Family unit broken up by Disobedient children, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. The sin continues. And there isn't a one of them in here that you are not guilty of at some point in your life, and maybe many. Every one of us stands guilty before God. We have nothing to offer him. Guilty. Guilty. How do you plead here this morning? Do you stand before God with excuses? Was it, you think you can talk your way into God's good graces? They don't call it grace for nothing, my friends. You are guilty. How do you plead this morning against these charges, my friends? And I ask you, say it out loud. How do you plead? Well, I will begin. I plead guilty. I am a sinner. I have offended a holy God in all areas of my life. What about you? Well, now comes the sentencing, my friend. And this sentence we will see based on verse 32 is based on God's righteousness. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. And the penalty for your sin, the sentence on your sin is death. And friends, our idea of death has got to expand because we think we're done here and it's over. But death is eternal separation from God. God had created before the foundation of the world this place called hell, a place of torment. It was created for the devil and his angels who had sinned against God. 
And one day, those who have offended this holy God will be cast into this lake of fire. You and I stand guilty and you and I deserve to be separated from God's goodness, his mercy, his grace, his kindness for all eternity. That is death. Death by nature is separation. Separation before God. This is what we deserve. We have earned it by our thoughts, by our actions, and the way that we have acted and failed to act. We stand guilty. So it is based on his righteousness, and it is a righteous penalty that those who practice such things deserve to die, that they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. We are an evil people, friends. And that is our condition. And it is our condition from birth. I have three delightful grandchildren. And yet you can see sin nature in their very lives. Their desire to have what they want when they want it, regardless of anyone else. And they will learn ways as they grow to hide it from others. But still continue on, just like you have. To sin in secret, as if no one can see. But my friends, there's always someone watching. Always someone watching. Well, of course, the reason I came down here is though we deserve every ounce and every second of torment in hell, my friends, turn to chapter 5. There is another way. There is another way. Chapter 5 and verse 6. As we stand before this communion table, in remembrance of the Lord's Supper, which we have been commanded to do, we remember this, that there was a great sacrifice. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, and at the time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is the ultimate demonstration of grace because God gave us something we did not deserve. We know we deserve hell, and yet Christ died for the ungodly. And look at what Paul says here, stunned by the very thought of this, that God would send his son to die for someone like me, someone like you, you know, you don't even know your own heart because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We deceive our, our, ourselves and come off as if we're better than we are. And yet God died for you. The Son of God took on flesh, took on the form of a servant, lived as a man and died in your place. Not because you deserve it. There was not something special about you. 
that Jesus died in your place. There's nothing special. There was nothing that you and I have to offer. And Paul says, for, for one will, will scarcely die for a righteous person. I mean, who would say, no, take me. Step in front of someone else and take a bullet for them. What kind of person would do that, knowing what kind of person they're dying for? Paul says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. I suppose people who have given kidneys to someone they love, liver, donating a lung for someone, I suppose you could go through some aspect of death for someone that you care about. But laying down your life for someone, knowing precisely how wicked, how evil we are. Verse 8, and here it is. We have seen a great sacrifice. that Christ died for the ungodly. Notice that we are evil, that we are deserving of hell. God showed us a great love. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, we had not changed our life. It was not because we tried a little harder. We bit our tongue a little more. While we were yet sinners, wicked, standing condemned before God, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He told his disciples about this before it happened. This is my body, broken for you, vile, corrupt sinners. And he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, a new relationship in my blood. Blood. It's a metaphor for his death, his crucifixion, his torturous death. And he did it for you. And this sacrifice on your behalf is activated by your response in faith, trusting in his forgiveness, this offer of reconciliation, my friends. This table is not for everyone. If you are here today and you have hardened your heart against God and you want to appear religious and good before others, but you have not trusted in Christ, this is not for you. This is a table that is set, prepared, and commanded for those who have responded to their guilt and God's grace by faith. You believe that Christ died for your sin and he rose from the dead. And all your eggs are in one basket now, trusting in him with all your heart and all your mind, all that you have, all that you are. This table is for you. So where stand you today?
Friends, it is not about what you have done. It is about what Christ has done. If you are trusting in your ability to put off a good show, my friend, you will burn eternally in hell. But if you are trusting in God's grace, his sacrificial penal atonement, my friend, his death on your behalf, you are reconciled to God. You will one day be in his presence to celebrate his love forever. This is what this table is about here this morning. So I want to invite my friends to come up and I want you to thoughtfully consider where it is that you are today in your relationship with God and with others.